At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Fast Money starts right now. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Steve Grasso, David Seberg, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, it is a crypto comeback. Bitcoin, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, all raging higher after hitting fresh lows over the weekend. Is a Bitcoin bear market over? We've got a special report. Plus, Stocks getting slammed and many so-called safety stocks getting hammered as well. So where should you hide now? Top strategist and fast money friend Tony Dwyer's got some ideas. We start off with that market sell-off. As the Dow at one point dropped nearly 500 point at points at the lows before rebounding, but still turning negative for the year, the Nasdaq led the way lower, falling nearly 2% on that Facebook bombshell. It looks like the perfect storm is brewing for the market. The big Fed meeting this week with Jerome Powell expected to hike rates his first time at bat. As we had mentioned, Facebook at the forefront of an attack on big tech and chaos in D.C. heating up with the government shutdown looming and the Mueller investigation into the Trump administration gaining steam. So is this just the beginning of a bigger sell-off? Is the worst yet to come? Guy. I don't know about the worst yet to come, but go back to last week. And obviously, Facebook is a big story today, but I'm not convinced that we wouldn't have a sell-off today even if Facebook didn't have that those headlines today. I'm not sure we would have been down as much as we were. But the thing about last week, Karen Feynman sat there and said it was the most concerned she's been in quite some time. I think that was on Wednesday. On Thursday, the lead was, is this a now sell-the-rips market? And I think across the desk we said that even Pete Najarian, who's been extraordinarily bullish, said, you know what? He favors selling the rips right now. So my sense is this, the, the market action we got last week set us up for today. So obviously Facebook is a headline, but I do think there's more pain to the downside. There are going to be opportunities. And interestingly enough, one of my favorite tech names reports this Thursday in Micron. So if you look, Micron was only down about three-quarters percent today or so. So I think this sell-off is going to give you opportunities in terms of names that report. But in terms of Facebook and the broader market, I do think there's more room to the downside. Facebook was a reason, but this is a broad-based sell-off. Every sector was slammed. So it's not just Facebook yeah. concerns that took down banks, for instance, or semiconductors, or you name the I actually, I actually like the guy's spin on it that this might have happened without the Facebook news. And I, I agree with that. You had so much in D.C. that was going on. You have the rest of the world looking at technicals, the rest of the world looking at uh, corporate tax uh, cuts that may be overshot. But when you look at the technicals, they really line up nicely because everyone's looking for that retest of the 200-day moving average. We got a test, basically, quasi-test of the 100-day. 2687 in the S&P cash. Market wants to taste that 200-day one more time. And if we do that, it's 2580. That's really going to test the metal of a lot of the investors around armchair psychologists, whether or not you're a sophisticated trader or whether or not you're a day trader. Both of them are sophisticated on some level. I do think markets will do one more swish to the downside, ultimately buying All right, so let an unsophisticated trader weigh in here. I mean, I think, you know, I agree with Hang on a second. Then let David go. 
Oh, you got to be <laughs> kidding me. No, but and it's 32. I, I by think the it's way. interesting. You know, you mentioned DC. Mel mentioned DC. I think at the end of the day, when you think about the tax cuts, you know, we had this parabolic move after the tax cuts into January. A lot of people were kind of getting worried on valuation basis. What did we overshoot here, especially as the Fed is going to go into at least a three, uh, you know, a cycle raise, maybe four, that sort of thing. So all of a sudden now, I think you have some investors who are a little concerned about valuation. They're looking at 2018 EPS numbers, and companies got big boosts, right? And they look cheap on a PE basis. But then when you look at the out year, you look at next year, and you say to yourself, okay, so we see growth moderating. Things are well below long-term um, historical averages, that sort of thing. What else is going to happen? And that's where I think you bring in the D.C. mess. I think in this year, which is obviously a midterm election year, when you see a weekend like this that was just consumed, the news cycle, by what was going on in the White House and what may happen over the next few months, you say to yourself, is this the sort of environment where we can get fiscal stimulus going, you know, all this other sort of stuff? They're talking about uh, stage two of the tax. Like, you know, it just seems very unlikely. And I think that's the reason why some investors are saying to themselves, okay, maybe we shot a little too far, too fast on some of that good news. It but, seems like there's more, there are more threats to earnings growth out there than there are boosts at this point. I, I would agree with that. But I think the narrative for today and the narrative sort of for the entire market is, yes, the Fed important Fed dot plot and sort of the direction of where we're going to be over the next, either this year or next year, super important. But what was interesting today, especially within tech, and tech being the leadership of this market, it wasn't a rotation of any sort whatsoever. It was basically sell of, of names across the board, taking profits, but they weren't rotating into things, which I found to be very interesting in the desk. Again, it wasn't panic selling. There wasn't, you know, take this order and just get me out of the name. But there was absolutely, you know, very uniform selling across the board and not you know, so sort of rotating it, into value that, names. That I find it's more about rates then? It is it's about rates. rates. So I, that's why it's I about rates. I disagree with the premise that there's probably headwinds to earnings. I think that you can't quantify what the true tail, tailwinds are going to be to earnings when we haven't seen a tax rate this low in so long. Right. We, you know, I, I do this all the time, and I do it for myself. When was the last time the tax rate was this low, and it was 1941? So there's a, it's a very difficult Let's also to remember. quantify the global environment that we are in now right. for stocks with that type of corporate but tax. But remember how much money, how much money poured into the equity market last week. A tremendous amount of money poured into the equity market last week. Record mostly inflows. ET, record record inflows. inflows. ETFs, I mean, mostly taking up, soaking up that sort of pool of, of capital. But the reality is that was a big move. But that big, brings big, you back to Facebook. Okay, so you look at the money QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, five stocks, you know what they are. It's Apple, Amazon, Facebook, uh, Microsoft, and Alphabet. They make up 45% of the weight yeah. of that thing. So, you know, this harkens back to June of 2000. A friend of your kids were around trading the markets back then. You know, there was some pretty nasty headlines about Microsoft. A federal judge ruled that they're going to split that company up. And when you see that sort of of yeah. news coming out of, you know, the FTC or whoever it was at the time, you say to yourself, that's going to dampen sentiment a little bit. Look, I think that's what happened a little bit with Facebook. When you think about those top five names heading into this year, there was massive outperformance in 2017. People thought they could do no wrong. And all of a sudden you see a massive, massive headwind for some of these, uh, you know, huge monopolies, which happen to be the biggest equities on the planet. Yep. Real quick, I think Morgan Stanley said earnings numbers may be a little bit too high. I think some piece came out over the weekend. And go back just a Look at last week's price action over those five days and see. You have not seen a week like that where the market rally sells off each day pretty much. Uh, like, we haven't seen that in a long, long time. Quite frankly, I don't think we've seen it in the last five or six years. That is a very interesting week. So to my original point, I think today would have happened regardless. Well, Facebook having its worst day in nearly four years, but Mark Mahaney, RBC's lead tech analyst, told Squawk Alley earlier today that it could be a major buying opportunity. 
There's obviously a lot of regulatory fear that's in the stock right now. It seems to us that that's largely priced in here. If you can buy a 30% compounder earnings grower for less than the market uh, with something that's you know pretty close to a dominant position in the space, uh, that tells me that there's a heck of a lot of fear, and that creates the buying opportunity. So do the technicals agree? Let's go off the charts with Chris Verone of Strategus Research Partners. Hey, Chris, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Well, we have Facebook, and I want to look back in context uh, at the last four years here. And what you see is a very orderly advance. But every single year, Facebook will test the lower end of its trend. Happened in 2014, happened in 2015, happened in 2016. It's now been about 16 months since Facebook tests the lower end uh, of its uptrend. That's about $10 or $12 lower from here. So last tick, 172. Uh, we think 160, 162 uh, is ultimately where this is going. And I think when we put this in context of leadership, let's remember, relative to the S&P, Facebook actually peaked in November. So it's been four or five months since this stock was last a leader. Uh, looking at some of the other fangs, uh, I think we have a problem here with Amazon uh, as well. The stock is still 25% above its 200-day moving average. Let's just say price in the 200 meet in the middle. That's 1350. Last close on the stock, uh, something like 1540. So uh, some downside risk here in Amazon. And when you look at Amazon long term, again, every single year it tends to find its 200. Happened in 2015 happened in 2016, happened in 2017. Uh, we suspect at some point that happened in 2018. So what can we own among these FANG stocks? Uh, we actually like Apple. And I think importantly, Apple has held up relative to the S&P. Since the lows on February 8th, market up about five, Apple up 13. So it's been a leader. It's holding this 170, 175 range. Uh, I think ultimately that one makes new highs. All right, uh, Chris comes over, right? Come on. Right, I'm just checking. Come on over, Chris. Ryan will bring the chair in. Thank you, Ryan. So if Facebook and Amazon look troubled and you do like Apple, yeah. um, is technology going to be challenged overall? Well, it's been easy for two years. And I don't like the term easy money and hard money, but it's been pretty easy for two years. And I think at the very least, it probably gets more challenging moving forward. Something we've been talking about in our work that the market, I think, has been suggesting for a few weeks now the average tech stock has actually been doing better than the big tech stock. So if you look at an equally weighted tech sector, that started to outperform over the last month or so. I would suspect there's more of that. I would also encourage everyone, look at names like Oracle, look at names like Intel, Cisco. These have quietly been leadership stocks as Facebook has taken a backseat over the last four or five months. So, Chris, when you talk about Amazon mm. checking its 200-day moving average consecutively for the last couple yeah. of years, and when you talk about Facebook being 10% above where it should be, has a little more fluff mm. where it could cut that out, too, you could say that because they collectively are the market. <laughs> Is the, does the S&P have to go retest that 200-day moving average so you, so you feel better about putting new money to work? You know, it's a hard question. I think the street is more and more looking for that retest of the 200. But when you look at, like, the internals today, it actually wasn't that terrible of a day. Banks outperformed. Rates were up. Oil was up. Bitcoin was up. So I actually thought some of the risk barometers were actually pretty decent today. Now, certainly those are very large weight uh, in the index. And if you get Facebook lower, Amazon lower, it probably hates, uh, it, it probably hurts the take. But the individual issues probably outperform. The average stock may do better here.
So, Chris, talk to us a little bit about that new high that we saw in the NASDAQ. It came all the way back from yeah. the February lows, made a new high on March 9th. The S&P sure. never made a new high, and it's down about 5.5%. What does that tell you about the leadership that we were just talking about? If you do have a failure in these concentrated names, what does it mean for the broad market? I think it suggests that leadership may be changing a little bit here. One thing we pointed out in our note actually on Friday was that flows into the XLK, the tech ETF, had gotten so, so aggressive. We look at that as a contrarian indicator. So I think in terms of timing and I think in terms of tactical flows, there's still probably some risk there. Chris, thank you. My pleasure. Chris Verone, Sertigas. Do we buy Facebook here? Do we take the advice of Mark Mahaney who says you can buy a 30% grower when you don't really know what their business model may or may not be if regulation comes down? Dan had to remind me because I'm getting old. But last week we had Roger McNamee on. And yes. recall, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I think he used the word corporate malfeasance or something Practice. along those lines. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. So that, if you, when Roger McNamee says something like that, to answer your question, I think you got to wait and see. He's been selling his shares, yeah. by he the way. He has been. No, I, I've been a bull on Facebook, and I've been vocal about it. I think this is very concerning for me. I think it's a slippery slope for Facebook, and it's all about trust. Once they lose trust of their user base... It's, it's off. I mean, they're going to fall off big time. And I think the most important thing right now is sentiment. When I talk to our analysts and I find sort of about sentiment within the institutional community, sentiment is terrible right now on Facebook. Investor sentiment is lousy. So you start to get some of these generalist investors to take their foot off the gas or, or just step away from the trade a little bit here, rotate into something else. It could be paralyzing for them. So I worry about that. All right. It was a big sell-off today. What do we do? I would be looking to add on the home builders. They got tremendously whacked with rising rate environment. I think it's overdone. Uh, you know, one thing I think you got to point out, look at the outperform or the relative performance in Twitter. Um, you know, to me, it mm -hmm. seems like they're going to have far fewer problems than, say, Facebook and Google. And then the other one, Snap got really nailed today. And I, the other day I said, you know, this is one at 17. Maybe you can buy with a 16 stop. I actually don't think they have any of the problems. They have Rihanna problems and they have, you know, Kim Kardashian problems, but they don't have Russia Kylie problems. Jenner. Kendall or okay, Kylie or Kylie. Come on, get, get, get them straight. No. Come cool on. Kids. What do we do today? Look at the hospitals. We flagged them last week on a lousy tape. Tenant Healthcare made a 52-week high today there, Melms. Financials. Stick with the financials. Keep adding to the financials here. Right. Coming up, check out shares of Oracle down nearly 4% after its earnings report. That conference call underway right now. We'll bring you the latest details. Plus, Tesla sliding into a bear market down 20% from its 52-week highs. And while the stock tanks... Celebrity CEO Elon Musk is partying it up in Jerusalem. We'll show you the shocking video. And later, is the Bitcoin bear market finally over? The cryptocurrency coming back with a vengeance. And there is one event this week that could really spell the fate of this trade. We'll tell you what it is. You're watching Fast Money Live from Times Square in New York City. Much more show right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Tesla getting hit today. And that kicks off our top trade. The stock now in bear market territory after Goldman Sachs put out a note saying it could fall another 30 percent to 205 a share on delivery concerns in the next six months. So what is CEO Elon Musk doing? Apparently, in a Jerusalem speakeasy, he personally posted this video and a number of photos on his Instagram saying he is, quote, learning how to pour flaming absinthe over a tower of glasses, adding everything's better with fire. Not a good look if you're a shareholder. Grasso, should you be worried? Well, first of all, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out this Goldman price target has been there since 2016, December 2016. They've been wrong. They've yeah. been wrong, so wrong, been wrong. wrong. So I'm gonna, if he's going to stick to his guns, I'm going to stick to my guns. With a uh, short interest of over 20%, there's not a whole heck of a lot that has to go right for the name to pop the name. So 
while you can fall out of love with the Bolt story, it's impossible to short the name. Longer term, it's not, it's not worrying about production levels. It hasn't been trading on production levels for quite some time. It's about Elon Musk. If Elon Musk was no longer the CEO of Tesla, then you short it and you're capable of selling this into the ground. There's always something up a genius's sleeve, and that's the way you have to plan when you play Tesla. You guys should get a room there. Uh, I know. I mean, like, you know, here's the thing. I, I think it's really interesting that they said it could go down 30% from here. Every year in the last four or so years, the stock has had about a 30, 35% yeah. peak Brought to trough out. decline. The stock has really been basing here for, what, it seems like six, nine months above 290. That's the level. If you bring the chart all the way back, um, the next line is down about 30% where this thing would go. I think there's a lot of tech investors out there who would love to see this thing go down 30% and take a five, 10-year view and buy it somewhere below 250. You know what I'd love to see? Mm. What? That video. I mean, flaming absinthe. I can't even say absinthe, and this guy's lighting it on fire. Look at that. I mean, he's flaming it. How can, you, how can you short anything that he's involved in? <laughs> I mean, he's a Considering he's a this is the, one of the most important ramps, product ramps, in this company's and history, and we are at a crucial stage for fire. it, and he's out what there speaking. I don't know. Maybe the he's absolutely side, confident the, in what's going Maybe look at it that way. Just saying. Maybe this feeds into his aura of being that celebrity CEO, which everyone that, loves. Look, I say debt, execution, I mean, you know, essentially competition. Those are the three variables that probably are, you know, you'll be dancing on Tesla's, you know, gravestone. But I, I think right now the momentum will continue to be there, at least for the near term, until there's a significant shift in one of those like narratives. downward momentum? Yeah, it doesn't no, really I think, no, I, I'd say this. I think that it's a trading vehicle right now. I don't believe in the long-term story the way a lot of people do. It's not an investment. I'm not willing to invest alongside a celebrity-esque CEO and say I'm willing to put my chips in from that standpoint. I do think that's an issue, and I think competition's an issue long-term. All right, let's stick with the road here. Uber, pausing all self-driving testing after fatality with one of its autonomous vehicles. Let's get to Phil LeBeau out in San Francisco for the details on this developing story. Phil. Melissa, the NTSB has now sent a team of investigators to Arizona to investigate what happened with the fatal accident last night in Phoenix, where a woman was hit by an Uber self-driving vehicle that was in autonomous mode with a test driver behind the wheel. But again, it was in, in autonomous mode. After this accident, Uber announced that it is going to be suspending its self-driving vehicle testing programs. There are four of them that are going on, not only in Phoenix, but also here in San Francisco, Toronto, and Pittsburgh. Uber issued a statement saying, our hearts go out to the victim's family. We are co fully cooperating with local authorities in their investigation of this incident. This is the first fatal accident involving a self-driving, fully self-driving vehicle. We'll talk about the Tesla incident from 2016 in just a little bit. But in California, since 2014, there have been 59 incidents reported with self-driving pilot programs. But we should point out that the majority of those incidents have involved a human-driven vehicle often rear-ending or accidentally hitting an autonomous drive vehicle. So the vehicle, the self-driving vehicle, was not at fault. There are a number of companies that are testing autonomous drive vehicles, GM, Waymo, Lyft, Uber, Ford. Those are the primary players, but there are a slew of others who are out here in California. By the way, starting next month, so just a couple of weeks from now, autonomous drive vehicles will be allowed to be tested on public roads in California without a safety driver behind the wheel. That's already the case in Arizona where Waymo is testing its uh, ride service that it plans to launch later this year. But there's no doubt, Melissa, that this accident, this fatality will have a lot of people 
particularly those who are not investors or who are not in transportation or in the auto industry, a lot of regular Joes, if you will, saying, aha, that's why I don't want a self-driving vehicle <laughs> out on the road. It'll be curious to see what that does to regulators if they start to perhaps put the brakes on allowing the testing of these vehicles without a driver behind the wheel. Right. And I know you don't cover Uber, Phil, but it's important to figure out right. um, from just the industry perspective what actually caused that fatality, if it was the technology itself, exactly. if maybe there weren't enough miles driven in the Uber self-driving program versus, say, Tesla's self-driving program. I mean, there are a lot of differences here across the sort of autonomous vehicle uh, industry group. All those variables need to be figured out. And, Melissa, we should point out that the woman who was struck by the Uber vehicle was struck outside of a crosswalk. Now, does that mean that she was at fault, that she moved in front of the car? Or was the car somehow, the cameras on the car, obstructed so they couldn't see the woman? All of those details will be figured out. The important thing to keep in mind is that all of these vehicles have sensors and cameras that are constantly recording what's going on. So for investigators, they should get a pretty clear picture fairly quickly about what happened with this particular accident. All right, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in San Francisco. Um, so what sorts of implications does an accident like this have on the push for autonomous driving at large? I would imagine that regulators would be a little worried about self-driving cars at this point. You've got to figure with any new technology, you're, unfortunately, you can't candy coat fatalities. This is a tough pill to swallow. This is going to be a difficult one. You would think that their testing mechanisms are going to be different. They're not going to do it on open roads until they get this software sort of handled. But with any, any new technology, you have to expect some errors. Unfortunately, it was a fatality. Yeah, and I, I think the more, most important takeaway here is that I think in 2016, there were maybe like 2,700 pedestrians who were killed in the U.S. by, you know, automobiles. So this is the first with one. With humans by, behind by the wheel. Yeah, yeah. I, and so, you know, I mean, this is something that those don't get reported. These are going to get reported. Um, but the biggest takeaway for me is that this is a, a new test for the new Uber CFO, or excuse me, CEO. And it actually speaks to what we were just talking about in that first segment about Facebook. Look at how they're overcompensating. They immediately said, um, you know, we're stopping this program. We're going to figure out what happens. That's how you deal with crisis right. management, you know. And so yeah. this guy's figured it out. It's kind of interesting that Facebook people are just uh, heading the sand. Still ahead, Oracle taking a sharp move lower after hours, now down 6%. That conference call is underway as we speak. We'll tell you what was just said that's got investors hitting the sell button. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. This That's how many investors feel, as a number of so-called safe areas of the market have been anything but. We'll tell you where to hide now. Plus, Bitcoin is bouncing hard today. And there's a key event this week that could mean even more gains. We'll tell you what it is when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crypto seeing a major comeback after crashing over the weekend. Bob Bassani is at the New York Stock Exchange with more. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Bitcoin's been on a wild ride this month. It's, you know, it's down almost 30% over the past two weeks, but it's finally got a little bit of relief today. Coinbase shows the cryptocurrency has risen more than 12% from yesterday. That would make today Bitcoin's best day in two months, believe it or not. So why the rebound? Cryptos could be getting a bid after an international watchdog said digital currencies are not 
a near-term risk to the global financial system. Finally, somebody said positive things. The Financial Stability Board said that crypto assets do not pose risk to global financial stability at this time, in part because they're small relative to the overall financial system. Bank of England chief Mark Carney noted that even at their recent peak, the combined global market value of cryptos represent a fraction of the world's economy, less than 1% of global GDP. And he noted that blockchain, the underlying technology behind cryptos, has the potential to improve the world's financial system. Improve! Some see this as a turning point for how world regulators might view this space. But don't make any mistake about it here. Bitcoin's still firmly in bear market territory. We're down about 60% from the peak near 20,000 in December. And that's nothing new. Bitcoin's seen four bear markets since it was created in 2009. And there's plenty of headwinds ahead, of course. Twitter, you know about this, planning to ban cryptocurrency ads from its platform following similar moves by Facebook and Google. That ban expected to be announced soon. And President Donald Trump just passed an executive order banning any transactions with the U.S. that involve digital coins issued by the Venezuelan government. But at least today, there was a little good news from the regulatory fund. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you, Bob. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. So is the Bitcoin bear market over? Let's check in with our resident Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly, who is all the way in Hong Kong at where else? A crypto conference. He joins us now over the <laughs> phone from the swanky Mandarin Oriental in Hong Kong. BK, good to have you with us. It seems like every social yeah, media social media platform has already banned ads. Um, maybe the worst is over in terms of the impending regulatory threat. I mean, the G20 is basically backing away from new regulations. Um, is the worst over when it comes to this sort of headline risk in your view? Uh, at least, uh, yeah, I think from the regulatory front, it probably is. I mean, we've had the SEC talk about uh, or having all these exchanges register and having all the ICOs register, which if you're security, you probably should. So what we've seen over the last six weeks is the exact opposite of what we saw in December, which in December we saw FOMO, the fear of missing out. This is FUD, F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And I think we're getting some of that out of the way. So, and when you take a look at Bitcoin's performance, do you think it is the bounce because of the of getting those things out of the way, the regulatory risk. How much of it do you think was the market's uh, decline today? Well, I, you know, I think over the last 24 hours or so, we've had some panic sellers in the market. You've seen some people uh, who raised money in Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, for their ICO, dumping their Ethereum and, and Bitcoin. Um, so those are somewhat price-insensitive sellers. It appears for the time being they are done, and I really think that's what's causing this shorter-term bounce uh, in Bitcoin. Have you bought? I uh, bought the uh, yeah, bought a little bit the other day, rode the dip down over this weekend, and still hodling, hodling. Still hodling. I just I don't understand this hodling thing, I, but that's okay. You can I ask mean, BK you know, a question. Can I, can I ask BK yes, a question? Please. So BK, so Bitcoin as we stand here is eighty-five hundred. A year ago, you know exactly where it was. I guess my question to you is, are we looking at the price action through the wrong prism? I know you can't counterfactual stuff, and it did trade 20000 But from point A to B a year ago, the move in this, despite the sell-off, has been quite staggering. You would have signed up for this, in my sense, a year ago. So are we looking, are we looking at it incorrectly, I guess? Well, you know, that's a good point, Guy, because a year ago, uh, I had a price target for Bitcoin of 2500 or so, uh, and that was Bitcoin was below 1000 and I was, you know, a little shaky about even putting that out there. So you're right, and, and I think that is also what's going on as part of the sell.
sell-off here. Remember, there are a lot of people who made an awful lot of money over the last year riding Bitcoin from below 1000 up here, riding Ethereum from, from $7 up to 1200 or even to even 600 today. Uh, they've made an awful lot of money. And then add into that the little pesky thing called taxes, and you're going to have to do some tax selling here. So I think you're right, Guy. I mean, uh, coming back a bit and looking at where this asset has been, it's still performing quite well. All right, BK, we're going to let you go. Safe travels. Thank you. Brian Kelly calling in from Hong Kong at another cryptocurrency conference. Yeah, three in three weeks. Do they trade the currencies or do they just talk about them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm serious. Like, travel the world. I mean, you can trade electronically anywhere, Dan. Get yeah, with it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, from the M bar on top of the Mandarin Oriental. Here's the deal. Um, I actually think, uh, you know, I think that re uh, regulation, I think it's too early to say that we're probably done, done. near term. I think that while that comment caused a short squeeze, I think you're going to see, I think it's probably sell the rally sort of situation here. And Guy's point about this was below, what, 1,500 a year ago, um, you know, this thing has lower lows. It, and it's not going to turn around until it really capitulates. So to my eye, that October breakout at 5,000 is probably the next stop on the downside. Look, we may have lower, lower lows until we hear what investors want to hear on regulation on that front. But I look at it and say what Facebook, what Google did, essentially by coming out and saying we're not going to allow them to advertise on the platform, the fraudulent ones and the, the ones that are deemed good ones. To me, that's very defensive, in my opinion, because these are disruptive technologies that are going after the disruptors. So the Googles, the Facebooks of the world, all these companies are going to be attacked by a lot of these ICOs that are coming out, a lot of these coins. So I look at it and say them not advertising is a very telling sign to me. This technology is real and it's going to be here for a long time. Still ahead, the market got creamed today, but one top strategist says now could be the perfect time to buy, and he says there are three sectors primed for a breakout. We'll give you the names, plus Oracle tanking the after hours now down around 7% near session lows. We'll tell you what was just said on the company conference calls that got traders running scared. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. As the markets sell off, a number of classic so-called safety trades are falling along with it. So is there anywhere left to hide? Let's get back to the newsroom in Dom Chu. Hey, Dom. Well, Melissa, we're watching the places that traders and investors have traditionally turned to for shelter from the storm. And maybe perhaps you think of Treasury bonds. We did see a little bit of buying of U.S. government debt. But as a general trend of higher interest rates still tries to play out, is that someplace traders really want to turn to. Traditionally, you've also got these defensive equity sector plays may still be somewhat outperforming like they are recently, but even utilities, the consumer staples and real estate funds and exchange traded funds tied to them haven't really rescued folks any from any real downside action. These bigger dividend payers may not seem really that attractive if interest rates really do continue trending higher. One other place we'll revisit is in those low volatility funds, so-called because they are made to follow indexes that generally have stocks with lower volatility relative to the rest of the market. Two of the bigger funds in this realm, the iShares Edge MSCI Minval USA ETF. It's a mouthful, the ticker's USMV. Also, the PowerShares S&P Low Vol Fund, the ticker SPLV. Losses likely still in the picture if the market goes down, but not as great. Traders are also dealing with a rare scenario, one where a drop in the stock market value hasn't been met with a drop in interest rates. Melissa, it's that battle that's really brewing between falling stocks at the same time the Fed is trying to trim its balance sheet and sell bonds, pushing rates higher. So a lot of big dynamics happening right now. Back over to you. All right, Dom, thank you, Dom Chu. Well, our next guest says, for safety, just buy the darn dip. 
<laughs> Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity is the bull behind this call. Really? It's still a buy-the-dip market? Well, you buy whooshes and you fade ramps, if you remember those are technical terms that we used last time we were on. And, and today was a whoosh. You know, you cannot have tech be the solution and the reason that we're going to go and rip to new highs one week, and then the next week, because of a bad day, they're going to be the reason that we break to new lows and keep going lower. So I think what the problem is, is people are chasing price, Mel. I think they're, you know, on the downside, corrections are only natural, normal, and healthy until you actually get one. And then they don't feel so natural, normal, and healthy. And that's kind of the, the situation we've been in, where you get one of these sell-offs and it feels like, oh, my God, we're going we're gonna to break down and tank. During those periods, I want to remind everybody, we're going to have 20% earnings growth this year. So that's one hell of a, uh, a multiple compression. If you get a 20% earnings growth and you expect even more downside from the 12% that we already had. And on the reverse, when you're ramping to new highs, let's not forget we're going to have second derivative slowing of economic data. We've got a Fed and a new chairperson that you don't know what he's going to say. And right now, what's interesting about this upcoming meeting, for the first time in a while, the market expectations are matching the dot plot. And for the viewers, the dot plot is the median Fed forecast for this year. So if you have anything that could alter that view, that could create some volatility too. So again, Volatility is the byword for this first half of the year, followed by ramp toward our target based on earnings. So not to blow smoke, but everything that's happening in the market over the last couple of months, you've basically outlined since the beginning of the year. You've been spot on. Thank you. But let me ask you this. Uh, Bob Mueller investigation. If the president were to fire Mr. Mueller, does that change this calculus at all? in terms of no. market volatility, so it doesn't play in whatsoever. No, and I'll go back to the backdrop that you guys are sick of hearing from me, but I'm going to tell you again. Until you invert the curve, all of this stuff creates opportunities. Let me give you some data. We did a study that showed the median gain of the S&P 500 going back to 1965 when you, from the date of the inversion to the peak is 21%. It takes place over a median 18.5 months, and a recession starts 19 months. So when you're trying to time this whole thing, until you invert the well after you invert the curve, you want to buy dips. And I think that's the mistake we make is trying to make it different this time. It's not different. Yeah. If the people are watching and on this desk can get access to credit, we're going to take it. We're going to use it. Should you bother looking for so-called safety trades in this sort of market? Or do you think that the entire market is, is fine? Well, I, th I think the entire market's fine. So let's, let's look at it this way. The safety trade today, tomorrow, I am awful, awful at predicting precise lows. So, but when you're in market weakness periods, you're going to get defensive areas to outperform. What we want to do, rather than try and play the, the brief downside or temporary pullback, we'd rather buy into the productivity trade. And by the productivity trade, if the Fed is raising rates, it's because inflation is above expectations. How do you combat inflation as a company? Higher productivity. So at this point in the cycle, when you're flattening the yield curve, Financials, those that finance spending for productivity. Industrials, those that implement the productivity. Information technology, those that are behind the implementation. In the last two cycles, those are the three sectors that outperform both cycles when you are flattening the curve to this current degree. Is there any concern about losing Facebook uh, as part of the tech leadership? And not just Facebook, but the likes of a Facebook, an Amazon, yep. Alphabet, all of them. There, there's absolutely potential that you could have further downside. They kind of they kind of got hit today, but it was I love the headline: the worst day since February 8th. Well, what happened <laughs> after February 8th? It went straight up. 
So I, I mean, I, I don't have an opinion on those. I'm not allowed right. to have an opinion on individual stocks. I do know that technology. But this is notion going that to, leadership has been narrow in the market. I don't know that it, Mel. I don't know that it's narrowed. Is it totally broken down, or are you just going it's through narrow. a really narrow? Think about the Nasdaq yeah. 100. The Nasdaq 100 made a new high. The S&P didn't. The Nasdaq, one, those five yeah. stocks, make up almost half, half. the weight. Well, the AD line made a new high too. So it's hard to make the case that it's too narrow. Now, clearly, Dan, it's 100% correct. What's, what most people don't realize is that because it's, they're both market cap weighted indices, all of them are, that means that the biggest stocks are going to have the biggest impact. It happens every cycle where you have nine or ten stocks that rip and cause most of the upside because by definition, it has to happen that way. They're the biggest market cap. But when you have the cumulative AD line making a new high, when you have the NASDAQ making a new high, it's hard to make the case that, while wow, this whole thing's tanking, except for a few stocks, because it, it just isn't yet. And again, the data, I got to go by the data because I'm really good at being wrong. And the data says that we are far too early still, nine years into it, we're far too early to take a totally defensive position. It's right. important to remember, markets are not based on time, they're based on Fed policy. Tony, good to see you. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having Maguire, me. Dwyer, can accord. Would you buy the dip? Yes, I think you have to. I think history has provided us with a lot of knowledge based. And to Tony's point, you want to buy the technic, uh, technical sector because if you look at it, it's outperformed on a five-year basis. That and discretionary has outperformed every other sector. And then you throw in the financials with that. So I would add the discretionaries, take out his industrials with his buying shopping list. Uh, look, I, I don't know that you jump right in and buy the dip right now. I think there are some headlines that could come out and potentially derail the market. I think that the tech sector is super crowded. And I think general tech sentiment is that you take a wait-and-see approach. So the incremental dollar, in my opinion, goes to financials and goes into industrials and doesn't necessarily go into tech. Yeah, so Tony seems pretty comfortable with the backdrop, the economic backdrop. And so, you know, I keep reading every morning that there are not enough new houses. Look at the XHB, the ETF that tracks the home builders. To me, if you have this slow rate increase throughout 2018, and we do have this low inflation, though, economic boom here, I think you're probably going to see a good bit of this 12% decline from the late January high in the XHB, um, I think people see that as an opportunity. So that could be an interesting one as a hideout trade. Pretty lousy day today, right? We're all on a court. We've, we've yeah. been saying it for the last 43 minutes. Macy's was up a percent, 1.3 percent today. Again, look for names that outperform on a lousy tape. And we've talked about retailers now for a while. Mm. Still ahead, check out shares of Oracle sinking 6% in the after-hour session. The company issuing weak guidance on the conference call. We'll hear from the CEO in just a few minutes. Plus, Facebook surging 7% today for its worst session since 2014. So if you own the stock, how do you know when it's the right time to get out? Guy Dami's got three classic sell signals you need to know. He'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Oracle sinking in the after hours. Josh Lipton's in San Francisco with the details. Hey, Josh. Hey, Melissa. So Oracle stock, uh, when we began this conference call, was under pressure. It came under greater pressure when Oracle's software cats gave that Q4 guidance in U U.S. dollars calling for cloud revenue. She says expected to grow between 19 and 23 percent, said total revenue between 1 and 3 percent, non-GAAP EPS between 92 and 95 cents. We took a leg lower on that guide, and we have stayed lower. Uh, Oracle's Mark Hurd trying to sound a confident tone on the call, talking about customer wins. Take a listen. First, uh, in ERP, uh, wins. Avis Budget Group, Barrick Gold. By the way, also bought HCM at the same time. 
Baylor, Scott and White Health, ERP and Fusion HCM. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida, Fusion ERP. Broadcom, Fusion ERP. Caesars Entertainment, Fusion ERP and HCM. Dubai Ports, Fusion ERP. Uh, Eastern Line Technologies, Fusion ERP. So heard rattling off those wins there, but as you can see, clearly uh, investors, at least in the after hours, not taking a lot of confidence from that. Quickly, uh, they were also asked, how much stock do you plan on buying back in the quarters ahead? Safra Katz saying they don't give guy, uh, buybacks guidance, but she says we would not expect to exceed the $4 billion we just did. For a lot more uh, on these results and how Mark Hurd feels about it, we're going to have an interview uh, with Mr. Hurd on Thursday that is live and exclusive, so be sure to catch that. Melissa, back to you. All right, look forward to that, Josh. Thank you. Josh Lipton. I feel like we've been here with Oracle before. In the after-hour session, the stock sells off, and then what happens, though, afterwards? Seems to come back. But yeah. what to me, what this illustrates is how successful Salesforce has been, quite frankly. I mean, I think this... This quarter is predicated on declining cloud growth and the guide for the next quarter. And then you say, does evaluation make sense? And when you have to rattle off your wins, the Yankees don't sit at the end of the year and tell you <laughs> each game that they won the 92 games they won over the year because they don't have to. The Mets do they that over the Yankees. Exactly. And that's why the Mets are the Mets. And that's why the Yankees are Salesforce.com. Right there. Bang. <laughs> look, look, I mean, this team's been a relative underperformer to its peers, you know, basically almost all year. I look at it and say the setup into the trade was really buy the stock ahead of earnings and get out of it against the 55, 56 bucks. So I think. People are long the stock into earnings. I think this, you're right, this morning, this pullback after hours could be purging of some of those positions. I think it could be a period where you can pick some up maybe tomorrow morning uh, and make uh, a little bit of money early. for a trade. I think these guys are playing some games here. This is the third uh, quarter consecutively where they have beat or, or come in line with their previously lowered yeah. guidance here. So what's going on is they're seeing deceleration in the cloud. Um, Investors are not really willing to reward them for it. And don't forget, we started out this year with news reports that Amazon and some others were pulling back from their cloud services. So to me, um, I think this is kind of a no-touch. I think you're going to see this. Tremendous technical damage is done. Watch the 45-92 yeah. level, the February 9th low. That's what you shoot against if you want to get long stock. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say 47. I was just going to try to talk faster than you. That was good. Coming up. Breakups are never easy, but we all have to do it, especially when it comes to a losing investment. Guy here has got three simple steps of saying sayonara to your favorite stock. He'll break it down. We're live at the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money will be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got breaking news on Facebook. Courtney Reagan joins us from the Shop Talk conference in Las Vegas. One of the company's VPs just spoke. Hey, Court. That's exactly right, Melissa. So this is a retail conference, but actually here at Shop Talk, the vice president of global marketing solutions for Facebook, Carolyn Everson, just took the stage and addressed everything we've been talking about all day long today when it comes to the scandal with the personal data that was collected on Facebook. And let me just read you what she said. She says, nothing is more important than the privacy of the people that use our platform. We are unbelievably disturbed by the allegation that data was misused, including Mark Zuckerberg. We are in a deep audit of what happened. If the allegations are 
true. This is an incredible violation of everything we stand for. When asked why the information wasn't disclosed earlier, Carolyn Everson says, we asked at the time for them to reassure us that all the data had been destroyed. All parties involved said that was the case. We now know that may not be true. We are going back through. People can no longer do what you were able to do on the Facebook platform in 2015. But we are under a full investigation to understand what happened at that time. It's too early to share with you what we'll do in terms of any notifications. But as I mentioned, this will be a full scale investigation. There's a lot to talk about here with Facebook, but they did at least address it head on here at the Shop Talk conference. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan from uh, Las Vegas for us. And that probably was the closest thing to an apology that we've gotten from Facebook uh, since this whole thing uh, cracked open on Friday or so. Well, Facebook sell-off today may have some investors out there wondering if it is time to part ways with the stock. Well, guys, got three simple steps on when you should sell some of your favorite names. In a second, we like to call the more you know. Guy. The more you know, Mel. And listen, I, this is not to suggest that you should sell Facebook, although, quite frankly, I do think there's some more pain on the downside. But obviously, today's news got us thinking. When do you know that it's time to sell a company that you've fallen in love with you and has done so well for you over a period of time? These are the things that I've come up with. And you're never going to get all three of these things. But if you see one or two, it's a pretty good warning sign. Number one, their main product is being commoditized. Obviously, that's not going to be the case with Facebook. They have a pretty significant deep and wide moat, so that's not it. However, is the company now in the crosshairs of a probe, be it a media crosshairs or a government probe? I think Facebook has found its way into number two, and this is really interesting and something you should watch, and we talk about this all the time. When your stock no longer rallies on good news and or now sells off on bad news, that's telling you something. For the last six or seven years, you've seen stocks that have been impervious to bad news and continually go up on good news. The tables seem to be turning, and it seems to be turning in a pretty meaningful way. So those are the three things I look at. Again, I don't think you're going to find all three things at once, but if you see one or two, don't be dogmatic in your views. It's okay to take profits. What do you think of Guy's three things? I agree with Guy's three things. And then and then when you look at, to his point, to Guy's point, when you start to look at how they tweaked the news feed, that was the beginning of the end for Facebook, where they started to have that come-to-reality sense about the stock. But when you want to talk on a granular basis, 172.53 is the 200-day moving average. You do not buy this stock. You know the three-day rule that I yeah. adhere to? You do not buy the stock until it closes above the 200-day moving average. All right. Up next, final trades. Final trade, Grasso. Avis budget, C-A-R. I said this was a double from 35. It's 49 last. Still going to be a double. 32. Uh, Facebook <laughs> invent, investor sentiment has become much too negative for me to stay in this story. I'm a seller. Dan's got a special guest, a very special guest, Ellie. One question for you, Ellie. Snap or Instagram? Instagram. What? So oh, she's the, taking trade the, is, the trade is? Buy Facebook, I guess. XHB. <laughs> I think you can buy it with a 40 stop. Key. She's adorable. Yeah. She did I a mean, great she's, job. She's unbelievable. Maybe better than Dan. Maybe. No, maybe. Not, not maybe. <laughs> Definitely. I'm trying to be charitable. Dude, strong genetics on the mom's side in that family. <laughs> let me tell you something. The Macy's letter M. That sucker's going higher there, Mel. I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks so much for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Wave, Ellie. Wave. Wave. <laughs> What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.